Welcome to episode 61 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And on today's show, we're both very tired. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Justin. <laughs> All right, so wake me up with some interesting topics. What do you got? Uh, well, I think the the one thing is, um, well, let's just explain why we're so we're so tired. We bo- both of us, I think, have had pretty late nights and um, not too much sleep during the night. So, apologies to to listeners of the show if if it's a little bit uh, more laid back than normal. Well, I noticed that you know I, I start a little slow at the beginning of the podcast because you know we we start recording at nine a.m. Right. And uh, on a Saturday morning. And uh, I, it takes me about like 15 minutes to get revved up, I think. My rants and ravings usually don't start till about 30, 45 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> so to, so you sound very good to me because um, I've, I'm wearing these new headphones. Um, right. norm, normally I, w- I was wearing these kind of older, very cheap headphones because I've now separated my mic from my headphones. Okay. But um, I'm trying out an experiment with my iPhone headphones. And uh, there's a lot more bass in them. And it's also kind of cool because they don't uh, overwhelm the head by pressing really hard on the ears like normal headphones. So, What kind That's, are they? Just like, you know, the normal, the normal white ones you get from Apple. Because the, 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 the trick is, is you want to, when you're recording, right, you want to hear your own voice, but you also want to hear the other person's. Okay. And with the typical Skype setup, there's no feedback loop. So it's not like Skype plays you any sound into your head, uh-huh. right? Right. So if if you wear headphones that are too kind of good, that block out too much of the ambient noise outside, then it, it sounds really strange to talk because you can't really hear your own voice. Right, right. So with these, these are kind of good because they're light. You can hear your own voice coming through, but they've also got good audio quality and they're kind of in-ear. That's kind of best of all worlds, really. Well, I have a question. Uh, you know, I noticed I was listening I, I, back to the last podcast for a few minutes and I noticed that whenever you spoke, there was like a hissing background noise. What yeah. was that? That and, and if you if you listen back uh, continually back to all of the podcasts since the Mac, you'll realise that that's there. You, you, it's probably just that you've only just first noticed it now, right? And that's that's the hiss that's bugging the hell out of me and really irritating me. Right. And basically, um, it's to do with the audio interface, the Tascam audio interf- interface that I've got. Right. I'm I'm going to have to upgrade it. It was like a ninety buck thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to upgrade it to a much more expensive audio interface. I've tried. I've tried everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the power. The same thing happens when I run it from the batteries, and it's just a right. It's like every time you would speak, all of a sudden, really, all this hissing noise, and I was like, "What is that? That is really." Yeah. I'd never really heard it that much before, but it was really strong in the last in the last show. Yes, and that's basically why I have to edit out the 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 kind of silence. Right. 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 What a pain. Huh. So anyway, um, what I, what I want to say is, I think that it's fair to say it's official. We are called Texing. Yeah, I, I think we've been unable to come up with a new name <laughs> that we can both agree on, that we both think is going to work. Well, you know, every name that we come up with, it's like it, one of us will like it for a while, the other one might kind of like it, and then we'll change our mind the next day, like, I don't know, maybe that's not going to work, you know. And I mean, no name is perfect. Um, and I just think that, you know, we've done 60 shows at TechZing, and, you know, maybe it's not the perfect name, but it's a name, so... And it's our name. I guess we just have to embrace it. I was kind of thinking that one plan that we could do, but now that the cat's out of the bag, we can't do it, is that we could have said, said to the listeners, we could say, okay, we have thought of the perfect name. This name describes us so perfectly. It's exactly right. It gets across our personalities. And if you can guess what that name is, we'll give you an iPad. <laughs> right. And basically, everyone tries to guess what the name is. 
and uh, whichever the best one is is the one we choose. <laughs> and I get, and you're going to give me your iPad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I guess it's like it's decision by no decision. You know, yeah. we made a decision by doing nothing. <laughs> That's it. Oh well. So and well, it's you- brandable, right? It's 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 brandable. It's if you search it in Google, it's it's just one thing. It's pretty easy to tell people the name unless they're foreign. Well, a lot I've of names. A f- lot of these names are kind of just don't make a lot of sense, and it's not till afterwards. No one once once it becomes uh, associated with the thing itself, you don't really think about the name anymore. Name anymore. That's right. Who thinks yeah. about TechCrunch? Crunch. You know, yeah. TechCrunch. I mean, who, I mean, who cares? It's just it's, it doesn't matter. So, I would have thought that was a very stupid name, TechCrunch, if I first heard it. But now you don't think about it. No. Right. You no. just think about what it is. You don't think of the name itself. So yeah, that's probably right. Um. Yeah, you know, before we uh, get into the show, we should just remind people that, you know, we're starting up a, a mailing list for the show. So please go to uh, textinglive.com and uh, sign up, figure an email into our list, our MailChimp driven list, so that we can uh, spam the hell out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Now, what we're going to do, I think the plan is we're going to try is once a week, we're going to send an email, short email with just a synopsis of the two shows, the interview show and the discussion show. And it's going to be our experiment is going to work as such that Justin's going to have his links of the week and I'm going to have my links of the, of the week. Um, and if there's anything else that we think is really interesting, we'll put it in there. But it'll at least kind of keep you up to date with what we're working on and what we're thinking about. So one of the one of the posts that um, I was looking at um, because I was trying to explain to a friend the concept of uh, bootstrapping. So it's a friend of mine in the UK who's who's building a company, and it's uh, essentially it's a company where he wants to do something. It's like a he wants to do short films and films and that type of thing, mm-hmm. um, but he wants to get them commissioned. Right. And I was explaining how essentially trying to get films commissioned by corporations and companies is pretty much like. A developer trying to get funding from VCs and how and, and so then I was telling about the concept of bootstrapping and I was trying to find a good article and found a great one by Guy Kawasaki called The Art of Bootstrapping Right. and one of the points that I noticed in there was that, that Guy Kawasaki was making and I think this relates to you and Apignite well I think it might relate to you and Apignite depends on what you think about it um, but he says position yourself against the leader if, um, if you don't have money uh, to explain your story from starting from scratch then don't try. Instead, position yourself against the leader. For example, Toyota introduces Lexus as a good Mercedes, but at half the price. Toyota didn't have to explain what a good Mercedes meant. How much do you think that saved them? So basically, what do you think of that? Uh, how does that apply to Apignite? Well, because Apignite's diff- kind of difficult to explain in some ways, and there's, there's a couple of products out there that you could kind of pitch yourself against in that way. For example, Salesforce... And uh, say, I think it's Sales Cloud or, right. or App, right. App Force, right? And so basically, <laughs> if you pitched yourself against them, but they are the, they're definitely like the very expensive one, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I think it's. I don't think it's a very apt comparison. I mean, Salesforce is a more of a specific tool, and it's more of a. It's a very specific vertical, and it's completely different audience. I, I don't. I don't think. I, I. I get his point, but I don't think. Not, not App Force. App, I mean, app, it's like so, so Salesforce is the one that's more. Um, to be honest, I, I actually do think that, that Salesforce is is kind of similar in the sense of 
Because with, with App Ignite, you, it's this tool that's a little bit like FileMaker Pro where you could ultimately build your own invoicing system. Right. It, it really has that look and feel about it to me at the moment. But also it has this other double, double whammy of you being able to build websites on it. Right. That's pretty similar to uh, Salesforce, to be honest. Mm. I don't know whether you've looked at it, but that's basically what I've Salesforce I've never looked is. at Salesforce. I mean, I, I've glanced at it once or twice, but I've never used it, so I'm not real familiar with it. Huh. That's. I mean, I guess that's kind of kind of interesting. It it's more helpful when there's something out there that's really directly comparable. I mean, car is a car. Um, these these web applications are. I mean, they, sometimes they're comparable and sometimes they're not. Even when they're in the same category, a lot of times they can be so they can be different enough that it's hard to compare because then you give people the wrong idea about what your your site even does, your application even does. Um, I mean, I, I get the point. I think it's fair enough. Um, yeah. So, um, your turn. My turn. Okay. Come um, on, Speedy. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm getting a gear here. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was thinking about something the other day, um, and I would call. I was talking to a friend of mine who um, about startups, and he has his one partner is a is a business partner, right? And the problem is, is that when you have two business guys and no tech, and no tech partners, I think you're kind of in trouble. I think it makes it difficult because you have a lot of. So what you do is you spend a lot of time sitting around and planning and talking, and you don't have a technical person who can just kind of make stuff happen quickly and do quick iterations. And I think we, you often see that the a lot of these startups that work tend to have like a technical co-founder and a business co-founder, or sometimes they'll have a designer and a developer and both of them will kind of work together on the business stuff. Right. Are you going to talk about, um, the, the Paul Graham article about what's going wrong with Yahoo? No. Okay. Cause that's you, very you gonna, similar to what you're going to talk about it. Are you going to interrupt my topic? <laughs> I think I am. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, I came up with uh, I came up with a, a, an idea I think which is I think I'm going to write a blog post on this. I have I, so I've been starting to write down a list of blog post ideas like titles things I, can, I need to write and I think I'm going to write my first one this weekend. Um, kind of start getting gear on that and uh, the the title of this one would be the three C's of startup founders: complementary, compatible, committed. So if you have a well, one thing you need between the three startup founders, they need to be complementary, right? A business guy and a tech guy, tech guy and a designer, whatever. You need you, if you have two of the same thing, you're often a little lopsided, and you have and what you end up doing is not taking care of the other aspect of the business that needs to be taken care of, right? So, mm. for instance, if you have two tech guys, sometimes you can fall into the trap that no one is really doing the business development or taking care of any of the marketing or any of that stuff because you just want both want to sit around and write code. But aren't you? I mean, isn't one of the hallmarks of a true entrepreneur to be all things like to change the toilet roll to do the code ideally the ideally ideally there's 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 the way the world should be and then there's the way the world is right so people have to be honest with themselves about what their strengths and weaknesses are and you can have two tech guys or two business guys or whatever or two designers but then it makes it more difficult just like it makes it more difficult if you're a sole founder um, to make things happen because you have to depend on other people doing things who aren't directly involved in the startup right, right. so um, it just makes it harder it's kind of like stacking the deck in your favor so what's the best situation the ideal situation the ideal situation is probably two to three 
co-founders who have a complementary skill sets. Um, and not only are they complementary, the second C would be compatible, right? So it's like the three people have to get along. They can't just be complementary. They have to like ha- share a similar vision, share a similar goals, share a similar view of like what sort of should be the, um, I don't know what they call the culture of the startup. Their personalities just have to mesh. You know, you can't just get, you just can't team up with somebody because they're, they're good at, they have some good, you know, valuable skills, but you guys just don't get along or you just can't communicate very well, right? Um, it's just like any relationship. And the third one is committed, right? You, you both have to be equally committed. If one of you is like all in and the other one's like half in, then you're in trouble because it quickly gets a situation where the person who's more committed starts getting very resentful and they're like, well, what's, you know, what's the deal, right? I mean, I'm putting on this work and you said you were going to quit your job or you didn't quit your job or you're not working weekends and nights like I am or you're not willing to relocate or you're not willing to downsize your lifestyle and so you don't have to do as much, you know, consulting or whatever it is, right? If so, I think those are the three key components of, of startup co-founders is is being complementary, compatible, and and, and uh, just e-committed. just speaking to that last point, I think that that's to equate it to bands. It's like the the bass player syndrome. Mm-hmm. Like, so you always have the passionate front man who starts the band, and then he likes asks his best friend to be a bass player, and right. the bass player is only just a tiny bit committed, and that kind of level of resentment is exactly what happens. Right. And so, uh, I think that, you could, you could call that bass player syndrome. Did you did you have that happen with your band? No, that didn't, that didn't really happen to me, but it's very, very common. It's, it's an extremely common thing. Yeah. Well, I think it happens a lot in startups. You know, these situations happen where, you know, the, the, maybe the key founder or something gets really excited and really enthusiastic, and their enthusiasm sort of becomes contagious, and yeah. it infects this other person who, for a temporary period of time, is is maybe all in, but then after you know reality sets in after a month or two that this is going to be a, a long, hard slog, like every venture really is. <laughs> that, oh, I've had that with startups a lot. I just haven't had that with bands. Yeah, you know, you just yeah, it's just you you can get people. Usually, what happens because if if you're excited enough to start your own business and and, and you're going to sacrifice for it and you're going to change your life in whatever way it is to make it happen, whether you know whether it's just working weekends and nights or it's quitting your job or you know uh, borrowing money or taking investment, whatever it is, if you have that much sort of energy and enthusiasm, it it can become infectious. I mean, it, it, to other people, and and especially if you're trying to convince someone else to go in with you on this new venture. And you're directing it at someone, say, you've got to do this. This is going to be huge. It's going to be awesome. We can build this. The other person, I mean, you know, people are, are susceptible to that, you know, if they're not otherwise involved in something that they're really excited about. You know, I, I think there's a good uh, way to tell if someone is like that or not. Mm-hmm. And this is something I've noticed. If that person isn't thinking about it in their downtime, like when they're in the shower or... Their ambient just, thinking isn't. Yeah, if, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. If their ambient thinking isn't taken up with the same project that you're working on, then they do not have anywhere near the same level of commitment as you. Yeah, and that's and that, a quite a good telltale sign. And that's just a, that's just it's like a crack in the foundation that's gonna you know, and maybe maybe what'll happen is you can kind of smooth over it because your enthusiasm can keep this second founder um, or your co-founder committed because you constantly are injecting them with enthusiasm and constantly sort of 
you know, either encouraging them or browbeating them into working hard and staying focused. Yeah. And then maybe you get some investment or you get some customers to point that the person becomes more committed because some of the risk has been taken off the table. I mean, it's, it's not ideal though, right? Because, you know, it's, if, 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 if one founder is having to inject a second founder with energy and optimism, and enthusiasm, it's sucking energy out of that initial founder, right? Mm-hmm. I had, um, I was doing a little, um, trying to get something going uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, we were doing a, like a little trading startup. A friend of mine who had been a successful high frequency trader and he had had some, yeah, he had had some success and he had some, he knew how to uh, make these algorithms work. I mean, he had had done it and I had built the technology behind um, these sort of high frequency trading things, but I didn't know the algorithms. And so I said, let's team up, let's do this. Let's make it happen. And he was just more skeptical. This is my buddy Kaz that I've mentioned before, the guy who's sort of like the, uh, you know, he's a, he's sort of the genius chess player. Right, Imagine right. You've, you've met him. And well, don't speak too badly about him. Oh, I'm not speaking badly about him. <laughs> oh, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a very good friend of mine. But he, he wasn't as um, – he was having a hard time staying optimistic about what we we're trying to do. He kept thinking – Ah, oh, you know, it would just be so much easier if we were part of a larger organization, a larger company, because then we could, we'd have the resources, or we'd have the capital, or we'd have the low clearing rates, or we'd have whatever. And you know, he just just felt very uneasy about sort of bootstrapping his way to that point. He wanted, he felt it would be much easier and much more likely um, if we just sort of went and worked for another company. And I was like, well, you know, that's not nearly as fun. And we're going to get stuck and caught up in their bureaucracy and their, their technical, whatever their technical problems are and whatever they're filling, whatever resources they're willing to, um, you know, allocate to us or not. I mean, we're going to be part of that whole thing. And if we just build this thing up on our own, we, we bootstrap, get the technology working. I was like, we'll have a good story. We can go and team up with a larger, you know, proprietary trading organization or hedge fund or something. We got a story. We, we have a good story. We'll have some good technology. That's all we need. And, you know, and so I would convince him. Yeah. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's okay. That's cool. That's fair enough. Good. So let's just get the technology. <laughs> and then every few days he'd walk in and be like, ah, I don't know. You know, they just, <laughs> we just don't have the center of gravity. We need, we just don't have, he, he, he always had these funny phrases. He says, he'd always say, we don't have the center of gravity we need. Or he's like, we're, we're drawn th- thin, which I guess is kind of a, poker term because he's a poker player he's like ah, i think we're, right. we're drawn thin you know we just we don't have this we don't have that and i'm just like cause don't worry about it just let's just get the damn technology working let's just prove this stuff out we have a good enough story once we get in the door to get, we have enough story to get some meetings and once we get to meetings i mean we can we can piggyback on these other companies and in, in, in have in make use of their capital well, so- it's kind of a good example. Sometimes people are meant to be friends, but they're not meant to be in business together. Yeah, and and yeah, eventually what happened is is he just he, I could tell. I mean, it was after like months of just having to like reinject him with enthusiasm and belief in what we're doing that I finally I was just like, you know what, cause I mean, because he was talking about maybe getting a recruiter and just seeing what else was going on, uh, what other opportunities there were. Right. And I just said, you know, cause that's fine. You know, why don't you do that? Because <laughs> I just I can't keep injecting you with. You know, I can't get you. I can't. Every time you start doubting things, I can't get you to believe in them, right? So here's here's a funny thing. Like, I kind of <laughs> the more I look at, the more I speak to the entrepreneurs who come on this show, I kind of think there is no bad idea. It it's just like sticking to it and just 
you know, pivoting as you need, keeping on moving forward. And as long as you're a, a tenacious bastard, <laughs> you're essentially going to get somewhere. <laughs> I don't. So, I don't think that's quite true. I think. I think you're right. The tenacity and is a huge part of it. Yeah. But I, there was an interesting article. It came out. It was like it was talking about. Uh, uh, I guess a guy wrote about the is it the execution of the idea, and he posted the idea, the question on Quora, and had all these big time entrepreneurs and stuff responded about you know is it the execution of the idea, and people give all kind of great examples. And essentially, what it comes down to is like you know the. The um, the idea, a really bad idea is, you know, is sometimes it's hard to really make that scale to do much of anything. But if you really persevere, you can make it maybe slightly work, you know, right. or if you have a great idea, but you really execute poor, that's not going to be worth anything. But it's sort of like the execution is the multiplier on the idea. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you can get at least a decent idea and you execute well, you're good. You know, it doesn't have to be the most awesome idea, but I guess one one thing they said which was kind of interesting was that at least if you get a good idea that's in the vicinity of a great idea, and then you ultimately you'll kind of pivot your way there. <laughs> you know, I thought that was kind of funny. So, you know, you just, it's hard, it hard to know if you're in the vicinity of a great idea. But I think, I mean, there are, you could come up with a lot of really stupid ideas that have a really hard time working. But, you know, I'm going to write a new operating system, okay, to make a money, to make a business out of it. I was like, that's probably not a good idea for one man show, right? Look, Twitter is a stupid idea. I don't know. When you first think about it, if, if Twitter didn't exist and someone said, look, I'm going to make this site that just is like one, one, ta- one table and people can po- post these 140 character things, you'd think that's going nowhere. I don't know. It's a simple idea. I mean, it's a tri- it sounds like a trivial idea. Um, you know, obviously, it's really hard to us to argue objectively about it sort of, you know, at this point in time. Looking back, yeah. it's just not, it's just you can't even think about it objectively. Can it just? I think it's just hard to even really have a, a, a reasonable discussion about it. But I, you know, I I think that there are certain things that it's just be like, well, I'm going to start an online bookstore, right? It's like <laughs> that just doesn't sound like a great idea. I mean, there's Amazon.com. I mean, what out value are you going to add? What are you going to do? Um, not that you couldn't change the idea and you're going to be some super niche, I, you know, bookstore that's going to do ebooks for the iPad and you're going to double as some kind of ebook publisher and maybe you pivot and you know, do something weird like that and all, and all of a sudden it's something different. But well, that's a lot like what Pete Michaud does. Ebook, right? Yeah, I'm just saying. So like you pivot around things like that, but I don't know. I think you're right, but you are right though. Execution and a lot of it comes down to perseverance, but. You, you see a lot of guys. I mean, you hear stories of people who will work on stuff, but they just they just, they don't actually do the whole business. They just do one aspect of it, right? They spend right. either they spend forever planning and analyzing the market, and writing business plans, but they don't actually get anything working, or they spend all their time writing code and they never do the actual business side. So that's the three C's. That's why you need the complementary guys to be Com- starting. You want complementary, compatible, and committed. I think I think those are the three key components to like a successful sort of uh, startup um, a founder uh, set of founders. If you got that, you're in, you're in good shape. You got so you're going to write this on your new HTML-only blog. That's right, Justin. That you create <laughs> in HTML. Now, I've got, I've got a, a nice... Uh, I was looking at the Paul Graham um, blog, um, the yahoo.html, paulgraham.com, yahoo.html. Mm-hmm where he's essentially talking about why Yahoo went downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, that applies to our conversation in two ways. Firstly, um, he's saying that the reason why Yahoo went downhill is because they never pinned themselves as a technology-centric company. 
they always thought of themselves as a media company. And so therefore, when they were hiring coders and going down that whole route, they never went for the excellence. They just got coders who could do rather than getting the absolutely the best. Yeah. But anyway, the reason why I mentioned this is because that's an HTML blog. But if you look down the bottom, he has three editors. <laughs> for, for every blog post he posts, he has like three editors who help him write it and, and put it all together. What does that so, have to do with the, the not having a blog engine? Um, Nothing. <laughs> I, I guess I, I, I guess irrelevant. Well, I, I guess it is kind of irrelevant, but it, it's yeah, uh, yeah. You got me. It's completely irrelevant. <laughs> Look, I mean, here's the thing, right? Here, here's here, here's a Tom. You know, because for any listeners who didn't hear, listen to the, the last podcast discussion podcast, Jason, and we got into a big discussion about this, which was, you know, I just said, you know, I don't want to use WordPress. I just want to, you know, write a simple HTML file. And you know, some of our some of our listeners were like, "What? You know, why would you use blog? You know, WordPress? You can get these easy things and you, themes, and you got all these plugins." And that was your reaction too. And I understand that reaction but it really comes down to a couple things okay one is what kind of what are you trying to do with your blog okay so on the very extreme end you have essays which you write once every week or two or month like a paul graham type blog right right it's not really a blog so much as it's just he posts up his essays and you could say the same thing about Joel Spolsky or Zed Shaw. Oh, there's a variety of them where they just have, you know, or Derek Sivers. I mean, it's it's less of a blog. It's not a. It's not like he's like writing every day and he's posting. Oh, this is what I think about this, or this is what I think about that, or have you seen this cool thing? He's just writing a, an essay, and maybe it's a short essay of three or four paragraphs, or it's a long one of you know, a few thousand words. But either way, that's all it is, right? So you don't need tag clouds and you don't need search and you don't need, um, you know, follow me on you know, this or on stumble upon and you don't need, you don't need all that stuff. You don't even need comments. Right. I mean, in fact, it's right. a big question of whether we want comments on these things. I mean, we've been lucky with comments on our podcast because I think, you know, we haven't got had a situation. Where we've had a lot of really um, negative comments where it just kind of, you know, sucks and takes the steam out of everything. And I think part of that is because we're a podcast, you know, people hear our voices and they can tell, hey, Jason and Justin are real people, <laughs> you know, and they can hear the tone of our voice. So if they disagree with a point or something, they're like, oh, man, Jason is an idiot. He's, he should just go and shoot himself. You know, <laughs> like he's just, just, you know, it's like the kind of things that people say on uh, on blogs sometimes. They just say this really nasty, hateful stuff, right? But I think we're. I think as a, as a podcast, we're, we you at least benefit from that. You have a little more of a of a, a little more empathy from your listeners than you would say from readers, right? Yeah, I, I'm wary of going to just to so you know. I'm wary of going too much down the discussion about why you're doing this because I think we really got into that last week. We yeah. we okay. got through all That's of the fine. reasons. That's fine. So one thing I'll say is those um, those uh, those are simple HTML you know blogs, and that's more along the lines of what I want to do. Right. I don't yeah. care about I'm not going to be blogging four times a day because the, one thing I'll just say is that the last thing I want to make is that you know, in the one extreme, you have Twitter and then you have some blogs that are almost like Twitter light. They have like three sentence or two sentence entries. Yeah, like micro blogs. Yeah, they're like micro blogs. And a lot of blogs are like that. You know, they're just kind of they're posting throughout the day, just posting little random things and links. And, and then you have people who are just they put up thoughtful essays that they spend a lot of time working on. And uh, it just really depends on what you want to do. Right. Um, if you're more of a bull- well, I'm looking forward to see. I, I mean, like I say, just just my closing remark on that is, I'm looking forward to seeing you create it, and I'm interested to see what happens over time as you want to add new little things to it, like how much work it ultimately ends up taking. What are these new things you, that you think I want to add? I think you're going to want um, 
some you're going to want like RSS syndication. That's you, you uh, could, that, that's the only thing that I would do by. I mean, it's that's easy. I mean, you know, you can just have an I you can just edit an an RSS file. Um I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know there's a bunch of stuff. <laughs> it's a bunch of bling. <laughs> you want to stack on the bling. Yeah, I don't know. No, well, like, what about statistics and um Yeah, they just, you just post in you just post in um Google Analytics, Google I guess. The bottom. That's all you do. You're done. I guess. Well, let's see. Let's see. So, um yeah, so okay, you know, um, you know, one thing that was kind of uh, a, a kind of uh, interesting um, is uh, well, let's see, I got a couple things before I go in here. Um, There's a blog post by uh, Jason Cohen. Okay, Smart Jeez. Bear is his blog. Yeah. Smart Bear. He's been on the show twice, I think. Yeah, he has. We should get him back sometime soon. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, he says you can't find. He says that the, the title of the blog post is it was if you can't find ten people who say they'll buy it. Dot, dot, dot. So basically, you know, don't start an idea unless you can find at least 10 people who say you're going to buy it, right? I mean, at least some people who would say, you know, this is not, I'm not just nodding at this and going, this is, this is neat. It's like, I would literally pay for that. Right. right? And, you know, that you can, not only that, if you can get people to buy, you know, if you could get sort of, if you were selling to companies, you can get companies to, to sign sort of a non-binding letter of you know, commitment that they would buy it if it existed. You can take that to investors. Investors, you know, might consider that to be, you know, you know a good validation, right? Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of, I think, Paul Buhite, the uh, guy who wrote, created FriendFeed and, and uh, created uh, Gmail, and I think he created the first version of AdSense, and he was the one who coined the term, don't be evil at Google. So hmm. Obviously, okay. he's very, <laughs> he's done a lot already. He's an important guy. Yeah, you know, in the web space, he's done some cool stuff. And he's now, he's an angel investor, so he invests in all kind of these uh, startup, cool startups. If you went and looked at it. So his, how does it remind you of him? Okay, so he, when he was at, uh, at Google, and I think we may have talked this a while back, but, you know, I think it was Eric Schmidt or someone said, you know, about Gmail, because he's working, he was working on Gmail, I think by himself, or maybe one other guy, with, along with one other guy. And... You know, when they approached management about the idea of rolling this out as a product, they the the, the feedback he got was you know, you get a hundred people within Google who say that they love it or that they're happy with it, and then we'll 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 do it, we'll release it. And he's like, oh, that should be easy, right? I mean, yeah, I remember you about this. So it's a long, and, and of course, it turned out to be more work than he thought, but that was a really good benchmark so it's kind of similar getting 10 people who say they'll buy it or make 100 people happy within a large organization it's just you know but what it does though is it helps you focus on something that's tangible right it's not it's something that's very finite and doable whereas like if someone says oh what you got to do is you got to go get traction you got to you got to go get some customers i mean that just seems sort of nebulous it just seems sort of vague and uh, and sort of hard to to even measure but if someone says, get 10 people to write on a piece of paper that they will buy it, can you do that, right? That gives you something to really shoot for or make 100 people say that they're happy, whatever it is. The and- one thing about that is, right, is that, okay, App Ignite is a perfect example. I think it would be a piece of piss, and, that, and that's an English way of saying extremely easy for you to find 10 people to say that they would, they would buy that. I right. think it would be really easy because everyone wants it. But the thing is, it's really difficult to make. So what does it prove? What does it prove that 10 people are going to buy it? Like, you haven't made it. You haven't proved it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what it proves in, in a case like App Ignite. Well, you know, I, let's see. I mean, I, I think what he's saying is that, you know, if you can't get that, maybe it's not even working on. It's sort of validating the idea. Is this a value okay. thing? Um, I, 
you know, obviously I'm not trying to raise vestment, so I don't need to convince anyone but myself. Right. right. Um, or at least we're working on it. And so I just think I, because it's obvious that people are trying to build web applications. It's obvious that it's very hard and expensive. That those are not, that's not hard to, for anyone. That's not like something you have to convince someone. Is it hard to create a web application for people who don't know how to code? Yes. Do people need web applications in all aspects of life in businesses or in their organizations or even as startups? Yes. I don't know. It just doesn't seem hard to, to really make, you know, that, make anyone believe that. It's just right. It's the question is not, that's not what we're trying to prove or that's not the hard thing to prove about Epic Night. What the hard thing to prove is can you actually make it work and work well enough that anyone would want to use it? That's interesting that, that you bring that up because um, another thing that I jotted down as something to talk about was a blog post that I saw um, written by a guy, a guy called <laughs> Harry McCracken, <laughs> if you can believe that's a real name. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what he was talking about was um, Google App Inventor. Mm-hmm. And essentially what he's saying is that Google App Inventor is this thing that allows non-programmers to create Android apps. But his his argument is is that you actually can't create any kind of app unless you have some kind of programming concepts in you in your head. Okay. You you can't just come along and create uh, to uh, use a tool like this. Um, you need to have some knowledge of programming, even if it even if it is a drag and drop, just because of the simple logic flow statements and things like that. And if you don't, you're probably going to produce something that's not very good. Well, that's why, I mean, I haven't seen App Inventor. I don't know how it's user interface. I mean, it's, it's, it's invitation only or something at this point. So it's not like I could sign up and take a look at it. But the whole, uh, the whole thing about flow diagramming and drag and drop designing, that's hard. I mean, yeah. it's easier than, than pulling out a Emacs and, and start you know, coding up some Lisp or C or something, but it sure as hell is a lot harder than, you know, just sort of waving your hands and describing what you want to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just hard. I think it's right. That's why I don't believe in the flow diagramming stuff. Cause I think if you have to understand the programming to do it, the most programmers would just assume write code, you know? Right. And I think most programmers would say, Hey, I don't mind using tools or frameworks to take care of or libraries to take care of a lot of the code for me, but I'm still ultimately want to write code. Um, now that said, I used to use Visual Basic back in you know 2001, 2000, well, in early 2000s when I was building some um, Windows applications because um, it was by far the fastest way to get um, to build Windows apps. Now I would write C to do a lot of the back end stuff, but I could create a VB app in ten times, ten times faster than I could write it in using uh, Visual C Yeah, at least. And it was all drag and drop, but that's because I knew how to code. So I could drag and drop, move buttons and click on Windows and double click and get an event handler and do this and that. But yeah, I wouldn't want to have to, if I had to hand code all of, the, all of that, it would take me more time. But it was a very powerful tool for doing sort of repetitive, relatively simple um, tasks. You know? and, in a sense, and in a sense, what um, Visual Basic was, is it would generate, it was a C++ generator, but it was all hidden from you. It would use a C-front compiler, I think, to compile C++. That's why VB6 applications were as fast as the C++ apps for the most part. Um, But anyway, um, you know, that's true. Um, The flow diagramming model, I just think, doesn't isn't really take off in most cases. And that's why with AppIgnite, I'm trying to follow more along the wizard approach, which is that, you know, like if you're at an ATM and it asks you what kind of transaction do you want to perform, deposit, transfer, withdraw, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to mess that up, right? But how can that, I mean, like, just to quote him, he says, 
Even if the tools you, you use are less intimidating than a traditional language, you can't just whack out an application effortlessly. Suggesting otherwise is like telling someone that the right software makes it a breeze to write a concerto or design a house. Oh, okay, so I, I, think, I think there's, there's truth to what he's saying. He's like, you can't, you can't, you couldn't create a very sophisticated, unique application without writing code, but you could create a big portion of it without, you could reduce the amount that you'd have to write. Anybody who's used Ruby on Rails would say... But that's the, that's the same problem with Drupal. I mean, I know three companies that have basically had to move away from Drupal because the first, the, the first uh, promise that Drupal gives you is it has all these things already written, like it already has an admin system, it already has internal email, it has a whole bunch of stuff. And in all three of these companies' cases, they started writing on Drupal and basically they got 80% of the way there. But the last 20% was so hard because they were in, within the confines of the, the system and the way that Drupal was written that they just gave up. They just, it was too difficult to get that last 20% to actually mm. turn it into a custom app. So right. that is the kind of point that I think he's coming from. Right. Well, I guess I think he's wrong. You know, I think he's wrong. I think he's a lot more wrong than he is right. I think what he's looking at is he's looking at App Inventor and he's saying that's not that easy. And I, I think that I think prior to Ruby on Rails, for instance, or the other, you know, PHP and Python frameworks that work like Ruby on Rails, if you had five, five years before that said, listen, you know, you're not really going to have to write you're going to write little to no SQL and it's just going to generate all this stuff and it's going to do this. So people are like, ah, you can't do that. SQL's too complicated. There's too much of an impedance mismatch between, you know, what you're trying to do and how relational database, you just can't do it. It's just going to, it's just obviously not true, right? In most cases, it's, in most cases, it's mostly not true. Right? But Ruby on Rails only gets you 30% of the way to your finished product. Yeah, but I'm just saying that it, 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 it provides a dramatic productivity boost that people prior to that probably would not have quite believed was possible. I oh, I, I agree. But, but my point is, is that because Ruby on Rails is a lot lighter than something like Drupal, right? It gets you 30% of the way there, and then it's faster to get the last 70% than something like Drupal where it builds the whole thing. And then getting that last 20% is complicated. And what I'm wondering is, is, how is it even possible to create something like AppIgnite and well, I, where I, I, people I, I, can get that last 20% in a fast way? Like, what's, what's your idea? Is that, to me, that's the, the key, the golden key that you need to, to solve in, in your project. Yeah, so here's the thing. Um, well, well, first of all, it's, you know, most people who say that things aren't possible end up being proven wrong, <laughs> you know? And it's like the old saying is people who say that shouldn't, things should, aren't possible or should get out of the way of the people, those who are, who are doing it. Was that the saying from last week? You know, and that's the same kind of thing. I mean, um, you know, certain things are hard and it may take a while to get them, but a lot of times you ultimately get there. And, and then everyone conveniently forgets about those stupid statements that were made. Um, now, I think, you know, because I'm building these apps for testing, and I'm just like, you know, if, if it's any sort of a, anything that's relatively uh, standard sort of a database-based application, so like a social network, like a project management app, like Twitter, like, uh, I don't know, Get Satisfaction, I mean, you could name any, any, all these things, right? They're all ultimately just sticking stuff in a database and pulling stuff out of a database and having different ways of, of sorting and filtering that information and displaying it, right? Yeah, but I, I know... Right, but that's like 
saying that a blog's just a blog and, you know, a blog's just a table and it's just, it just displays. But basically getting, once again, getting that last 20% from creating the table and the input and turning it into a real blog is a lot harder work than they'd have you believe on all of the demos for Ruby on Rails and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have to tell you. I mean, I'm, I'm building this stuff and it, and these, these little apps work. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I guess I'll just have to prove it to you. Right. So, and well, that's fine. It's not, it, to, to be honest, I mean, I, I kind of believe in you and I think that you can do it, but what I guess what I want to do, what I want to bring up is this point, because I think this is very important to your business. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you can crack that one, that is the big the big deal, the big issue here, because that's what no one else has been able to crack in any of their frameworks or tools. Right. I mean, you know, here's the thing. Of course, you know, there's there's a class of applications, and, and, and the thing is that that App Ignite is going to work do well for, which is the web database applications. If it's not database based, or you're doing something completely different, then it might not work that great for you. Right. Or it might not solve enough of the problem. But, you know, I'm not trying to solve everybody's problem. I'm trying to solve what I think is a big part of most of the problems that people have. Yeah. For developing web applications. And, and I'm, I'm trying to solve it for either, A, people who don't really know how to code or don't know how to code web apps, or B, people who do know how to code web apps but just don't have the time to write, write it from scratch and are just like, you know what, this is good enough. I can get this thing up. I'd like to use Django or Ruby and, and, and just make love to every line of code and, 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 and work on it for three months and just make this thing beautiful. But you know what? I need this thing up the end of the week. Otherwise, my boss is going to give me hell. So I'm just going to not generate this thing. Yeah. Right. So I think that's another group of people that would be like, yeah, this, this is fine. This is cool. You know? I mean, in some ways, like Accelerator is, is an example that what you're doing can work. Because if you look, if you look at Accelerator, which is the the tool that helps you build iPhone apps, like that helps you build this stuff real fast. But it's also completely customized. But then again, Accelerator is for programmers, so programmers can get in there and make it very custom. Mm-hmm. So that I guess that once again, that is a bit of a difference. Right. Well, like it's just this uh, this claim of you can build your whole thing without knowing how to program. That's the tough the, the tough one. Right. Um... Yeah, I mean it's 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 just sort of all, it's just all in the execution, you know. Yeah. It's just it's just how we execute it, you know. And I'm hopefully I believe in what I'm doing. I think it's going to work. Um, and I I can see as far along as we are that it's already working. It's just a matter of just kind of finishing things some things up and getting, making it easy enough for someone to use. I mean, I, right now I don't have the wizards working because I'm just doing it's more like you know property pages. You know, you just yeah. go to settings, but obviously it's very easy to just go. Okay, I'll just create a wizard that does this. Right, show show one set of things at a time and and go through it sort of linearly. But um, yeah, oh, one thing I wanted to point out was a few a few of our uh, we had a few comments of people who said that they didn't quite understand what app that app ignite dot, how it was spelled. Right. They were said it was spelled Epic Night or something. Ep- well, one person Epic thought Knight. it was Ep- Epic Night. <laughs> Epic Night. It's Epic Night as an application ignition or something. A P P Ignite. So you're igniting the application. So Epic yeah. It's a great name. Well, well thanks. Well, uh, assuming that people, I, I could say it in a way that people understood what I was talking about. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> it's not a great name. Maybe we should call it Epic Night. <laughs> Well, two two things I want to go back to about your that we brought up. One is um, the uh, is is about that whole you know getting ten people to say they want it, right? They pay for it. Well, here's the thing. Um, One thing I I was thinking about is that when you know you really want to get your your core 
user base started, right? And, and what would you say your core user base is? Your first 100 people, your first 1,000, something like well, that? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of depends on whether they're the people... Your, your core user base is the people who are logging in every day. Right, I understand, right, right. right. So, using it every day. So, let's so say that's the, 10. Let's just say that you're trying to get to 10 people, right? Yeah. Now, how hard is it to get to 10 people with the whole internet, right? So all you have to do is focus on that first 10 people. And, and, and that's very manageable. It's very tangible. It's finite and, and it's doable. And it's just, and, and then getting 100, like, can you get, it's like, we talk about growing the podcast, right? It's like, well, we want to have 500 people download a, a podcast within 48 hours of its release. That's our goal by the end of the summer, right? Right. So, but that seems very doable. All we need is 20 more people or all we need is 30 more people, right? I mean, that's tangible. It's like, let's just make it happen. You can willpower. You can just will that to happen practically, right? <laughs> you're going to go find 20 people, right? It's like when you're losing weight. Don't think of the, the 100 pounds you need to lose. Just go for the first five pounds. Exactly. So you, <laughs> you, you just have to. So, so the thing is, it's like, you're like, well, I ultimately need really big numbers, but if you start with really small numbers or manageable numbers, it's, you can will, you can just by sheer force of will and just, just, you know, you can make it happen. You can just go and find those people, contact them directly. You don't have to put up a web page and go, Hey, come check it out. I hope people come find it. I mean, you can literally go and email people and say, you know, dude, you got to check this out. You will like this, <laughs> right? This is what you need. In fact, you, you, you could, you could, and you could literally find people in your niche talking on forums that are, is very close to your niche. And, um, as you say, just contact them directly. You can literally contact them. I mean, I'm not talking about creating some uh, automated spam thing. I'm like literally one by one, go find them, get to know them. And if they're the kind of, kind of people who, or you get to know who they are and, and if you, and what they're working on, and you can literally send them an unsolicited email personally. email and say, Hey, listen, you know, working on this thing. I have been reading what you've been writing about. I think this is, I think you would love this. Would you mind checking it out? That's a good idea. Is that, are you going to do that with Epic Night? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, cause, and, but then, okay. Then once you get to a large enough, let's say you get to a thousand users, Right. Whatever your number is, right? You're, you, you're like every day you're adding on five new people. You're, sent, you're contacting five people directly or whatever you're doing. And you get to that sort of audience number of you have a thousand. Then you get a large enough number that word of mouth starts to work in your favor, right? Because word of mouth with 10 people doesn't work very well because eventually after a couple months you have 11. <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah. But you get to a thousand, or you get to some number, it starts to the sort of the um, the compounding interest of it starts to work in your favor to a point that it's it's not an insignificant number. And so, but the, but to get to that point, you can will your way there. And it just reminds me, and I, I know I've told the story before, but when my first company, um, we, we were um, we sold like a, 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 a sort of a. a flight simulator for traders, right? It was sort of this like video game almost like for traders and option right. traders. And we were about out of money. We realized we'd pretty much saturated, saturated our entire niche. And because um, the, the trading world, that trading world isn't that big. So I, I have a little bit of experience about going after a small niche because you can saturate it and then you're kind of done. And which is what happened to us. So I'm not super crazy about these tiny little itty bitty niches. You know, I, I, <laughs> I think there's a downside to it too. And so we were, we, there in the past, we were, for about two or three months, we were paying ourselves like a half or a third of our salaries every month. Um, it was three of us. is was my, my partner, Phil, and my uh, then-girlfriend at the time, Sandy, who's now my wife. And she would turn around and look to us. She's like, all right, guys, so we have enough in the bank. We can pay ourselves a half of, you know, 50% of our salary. And we're like, oh, man, <laughs> right? And so right. we suffered through that for like two months or three months. And it was just like, okay, this is, this, this is you know, we're, we're coming to the end of the line. But we had always thought, you know, if we can get to Europe, because we'd heard that there's that that Europeans were much more willing to invest in educating their traders than Americans were. 
And so we planned a trip to go over to, we went to Frankfurt and London and Amsterdam and these places. So anyway, when we get to Amsterdam, we had gone, I had had a couple of meetings with these big banks and Deutsche Bank and Dresdner Bank and stuff and in Frankfurt. And that was just kind of didn't really go anywhere or, or it was just the beginning of some long sales cycle that probably wasn't going to go anywhere. And then we got to Amsterdam and we had met with a couple of these big banks, big trading firms. And both our meetings were like at nine and 10 in the morning. And so it was like 11 a.m. and we were done. Right. right. We had, we, all of our setup meetings in Amsterdam were done. And we were there for the rest of that day and the rest of the next day in Amsterdam. And so Sandy was just like, well, she's like, all right, well, you know, we're sitting there in our suits and I said my laptop and, you know, kind of slung over my shoulder. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, I wish there was something more we could do, you know, and she's like, well, it's OK. Let's go change and let's go and sightseeing and go just have some fun. And and I said, wait a minute, I go, where is the exchange in Amsterdam, you know, and. And she's like, why? And it's like, I think that's it right there, right? That's the Amsterdam Exchange. And I go, the trading firms have got to be around here, right? And she's like, well, I guess. And I, so I, I walked across the street, and there was a building. And on that building, it showed every suite number on every floor, and every, every one of it was the name of a trading firm. It was like, you know, XYZ Trading, you know? And it's like a stable full of the kind of people right. you want They're to speak to. They're all right there. And so I turned to look at Sandy, and she goes, she looks at me, and she's like, oh, no. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we're doing it. She's like, oh, please. And so we go in and I literally go floor to floor, door to door. And I just kind of knock on the door. A lot of times the doors would be open and I kind of stick my head and I go, hey, are you guys a, um, a trading firm? And they're like, yeah. And I go, do you guys trade uh, options? And they're like, yeah. And I go, well, we're just in from Chicago for uh, for the couple days and we have a, an, a, an educational platform. And we're curious if you guys might want to take a look. And usually the people in the front would be a little confused, like, uh, uh, you know, they go, oh, gets, you know, so-and-so, or and they'd bring some manager or some trading guy, and the guy would be like, huh, that sounds really interesting. Okay, give me a few minutes. And he would pull together a bunch of traders or a bunch of people, or, or we'd set up a meeting for the next day. And we had like eight or ten meetings, and, and we sold $30,000 worth of um, licenses in two so days. So you made your trip to uh, Europe. We made it. We paid ourselves back for the previous two months. We had enough money to pay ourselves for the next month and kind of finish things off. And I, cause I just willed it to happen. I said, screw it. I'm not going to just stand outside with a sign that says, Hey, I just went and knocked on the damn door. And I said, you know, I think you're going to want this, you know, you want to take a look and it worked. I just willed it to happen and made well, it happen. I mean, that sounds excellent. Right. Well, so, and the same thing with the web, people are out there on their blogs talking about what they're interested in, what they think's cool and what they think is valuable go find them contact them directly you know but do it in a very personal uh way don't just send out these blast spam emails you know and yeah i think you can will your way to your first hundred or first thousand and then grow from there well, i think that's very inspirational advice from jason there <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of inspiration, I, you want to do the uh, quotes of the week segment? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the first one is don't wait for people to fund your great ideas. Just go do them. Do you know who that's from? That's from, um, well, I think that David Fogel mentioned it. That's David Fogel's uh, comment from last week. Yeah. So right, was a, right, that was yeah. a great, that was a great, uh, that was a great quote. So I just think that's great. Don't wait for people to fund your great ideas. Just go do them. Right. I mean, he didn't wait for someone to fund his checkers playing experiment. He didn't, you know, he didn't, uh, you know, wait for anyone to fund any of this stuff. He just went out and did all these things Yeah, and, and, and made a great business for himself and made a great name for himself and has published, you know, I don't know, dozens, if not hundreds of papers in AI and published author. I mean, you know, he's done great because he doesn't wait around. And, no. and I, think that's, I think that's a mistake of people spend a lot of time 
waiting around. Well, if I could just get funding, screw funding. Just go do it. You're sitting yeah. there. You got a computer. You got a brain. You got hands. Carve out a few hours here and there, and just make it happen. The um, you see, you notice how it's like I'm starting to pick up steam here. Yep. You start to get into it. The coffee is starting to sit. All I need to do is just sit back and let you go, and then you'll like zoom off on let your the, own. Let the coffee, <laughs> let the, coffee, uh, let the, um, the, uh, the caffeine work its way into my blood system. <laughs> so here's the other one. Okay. Here's the other quote. I know it might be tricky sometimes, but I can handle it because I'm an engineer and engineers never quit. Ooh, who said that? My five year old son, Colby. Oh, that's a good quote. Is that awesome or what? He's that also is awesome. Says, I know it might be tricky sometimes, but I can handle it because I'm an engineer and engineers never quit. So that is, yeah, very. I that I'm like this. That's gold. And and what happened? What <laughs> the context for it was? Um, well, first of all, Colby is he calls himself an engineer because he wants to build stuff constantly, and he is like unbelievable with like legos and these construction sets and he builds he'll build like, there'll be like these lego sets that'll say ages eight to twelve and he'd be like four or five and he'll like knock it out in 20 minutes he'll just read the directions and make it happen and you're just like that's <laughs> how do you do that and he's you know so he's he's just built all this amazing stuff it's just the talent he has which i don't have i can't build anything in the real world i can't fix anything i have no, i have none of that whereas my wife is has that gene and i think he's inherited it from her Right, because her father has he won a bunch of awards and has dozens of patents, and he's like an amazing uh, inventor engineer with like you know mechanical and uh, optical things, lasers and you know he's he's an expert with lasers and optics and things. So he yeah his whole basement or his whole garage is like full of like it's like a machine shop with all these sort of like you know lathes and drill presses and things and then these like uh these machines for dealing with optics and so colby goes nuts when he gets there so colby's like that yeah so colby just so anything and everything around the house he wants to fix or build or something to point sandy's just like colby you know take a break (laughs) because like they'll be trying to fix something and colby wants to get in the middle of it you know and they usually do projects together so whenever there's something needs to be fixed colby has to be part of the project because he just won't insist so anyway, um, this was last week. Sandy was on her on their way back from IKEA. They had she had gone to IKEA to buy a couple of wall lamps for the kids' room, so that you know when you're kind of putting them to bed, it's like this very dim light that you can kind of read to them, and they can kind of fall asleep as you're reading to them. And and uh, Colby is of course was like, well, you know, we get home, we got to, we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna help, we're gonna put it together. And Sandy, and, and Sandy's like, Colby, I have to take. Izzy to school and we got to put an area down for a nap so when I get back from taking Izzy to school we'll work on it and he's like well you know I'm just going to do it you know while you're taking Izzy to school Sandy's like well fine and that's when he said that he's like well I know it's going to be tricky sometimes but I can handle it you know <laughs> <laughs> so now were you listening were you listening or is that what Sandy said no Sandy, Sandy just walked back just just cracking up she's like you gotta you gotta hear what Cole listen to Colby said you know and uh, <laughs> just so funny and I guess you know uh and I just I love the enthusiasm I love the sort of self-reliance and I love the fact that he refers to himself as an engineer with pride right right like, this is it's not like we say you know Cole I'm not even sure where he got that Right, like where, where did, when did, how did he start calling himself an engineer? It was kind of funny. I mean, I'm not even sure that happened. It's not like we're like, well, Colby, you're going to be an engineer. It's like, I, you know, I don't care. You know, he just, uh, it's just funny with kids. Sometimes they just decide they get enough information about the world, and they just like, well, this is what I am, or this is what I'm going to do. And that's really cool. So those are my quotes of the week. Well, great quotes. Excellent. Okay, so what do you got? Your turn. 
I got um, <clears throat> jQueryMobile.com. Right. So basically, this is a new project, new to the point that it's just released, but they've put a, a fair amount of work into it. And what it is is it's um, a a UI for for mobile for the mobile platform, and also a framework for the mobile platform. Mm-hmm. And it will it, it will allow you to develop fully blown mobile apps in jQuery using this jQuery mobile platform. And it, basically, what the way that it works is the widgets will look the same across all of the different devices that you deploy to, um, and it'll hook into the, the device's native um, event handlers. For example, if it goes on the iPhone, it'll hook into the iPhone touch start event handlers, which are um, very, very optimized compared to just the normal HTML event handlers. Oh, yeah, I, I, I need to add a question about this. Okay, now, it's not building an app, an iPhone app like Accelerator. It's a web. It's like works, it works in like the web browser. It's HTML. Jets, well, it, right? but th- to be honest, it would be perfect in Accelerator in the web view, the same way as I'm, I'm building Swarm. So I'm building Swarm purely in JavaScript, CSS, and HTML, um, apart from some key components that I hook into the back of the system. So something like this would be great to, to, to work with Accelerator or any of these other wrappers, or you could just build your own custom wrapper in Objective-C and basically include WebKit and then include your own pages that you built with this jQuery mobile why stuff. Why would you want to do that? I mean, why wouldn't you just write native code in JavaScript? Why would you write JavaScript to write native code to, write JavaScript, to have JavaScript yeah. embedded in it? I, I don't understand your question. Well, I mean, Accelerator allows you to use JavaScript, and it generates the native Objective-C and, and the native code. I mean, like, for instance, like, I don't well, understand why. I'll, well, I'll tell you why. Because, um, because if, if you... Okay, first of all, a lot of people have um, CSS and JavaScript and HTML skills already, right? Uh, okay. And those, th- there's a lot more target platforms. If you, if you use a wrapper to... Um, wrap up your app, which you've written in CSS, JavaScript, and HTML, right? And you can deploy to every mobile phone, including Symbian and um, also the WebOS Palm one. Okay. Then that would be the reason why you would focus on building your app purely in those languages so that you can, um, you know, it's, it's going to be the same. You just, just kind of build once and deploy everywhere, right? So that seems more like a website than it does a, a web app than it does like an, an, a native application, right? Well, I mean, in so much as Swarm is, I mean, if you if you use Swarm, it feels like an app. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. most of the people would use are going to use jQuery to write, um, you know, HTML apps, not actual native apps, right? It's mm. just you're saying that you can do that in Accelerator. You could write a native app that hosts Web WebKit, which then runs this jQuery app within the WebKit, right? Yeah, I'm I'm basically saying that. This is, to my way of thinking, if, uh, unless it's something that needs really, really fancy interface stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway, e- even if it does, you can, you can use tools like Accelerator for all the different platforms out there and hook into some native things. But just generally speaking, if you, if you write it in CSS, HTML, JavaScript, then that same thing can be deployed in lots of different places. For example, let me, let me give an example with Swarm, right? So Swarm is built in JavaScript, HTML, CSS. So that can be deployed to the iPad, which, you know, through, through the web view of um, Accelerator, but it can also be deployed to um, Android, and it can be deployed to the desktop via Accelerator. But on top of that, it can also be uh, deployed directly to the web, right? Okay. Uh, it can be deployed to Symbian, to WebOS, to all of those different places. And essentially, it's the exact same code that you work with on all of the different places. There's obviously going to be a few different touch points where you need to get access to those individual systems' APIs. 
And that's where the wrappers come in. So whatever happens on each of those platforms, you need some kind of wrapper that allows your JavaScript and HTML to talk to the core system. Right. Hmm. But the advantage is, is that, you know, this, the jQuery mobile project gives you uh, all the interface uh, components that you need. So all the, all the interface components that people expect on mobile platforms. Right. Do you see right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's um, what's good. That's kind of interesting. I, although I don't know. Um, I guess are people building stuff for Symbian and WebOS? Yeah, of what course. kind of market share do those have? Does this, this platform? Have? I, I couldn't tell you the market share, but uh, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, WebOS—the only way to build things is in JavaScript and HTML. I'm just wondering: are there, is, does it have any significant market share? You know, you have Android, and you have for at least for like the smartphone app-based phones, like Android and iPhone. I mean, how how do those markets compare? Are they significant? I mean, I'm not. Well, I'm Android not making a point. is. Yeah, just, like, Android. Android is definitely significant. I think Android. Well, I know Android is. I'm talking about Symbian and WebOS. Well, Symbian has the largest market share. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh, is that like what? Is that what, like BlackBerry? No, that's um, Nokia. Nokia. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Oh, right. That does seem kind of powerful. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, JavaScript, I was experimenting with, um, I was experimenting <laughs> with a, a little technique um, yesterday. So, you know, I've been working on my little uh, quantifier, my uh, AI Oh yeah, web app thing. So, for anyone who hasn't listened to a previous episode of this stuff, uh, essentially, I'm 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 creating a a website where a web application where you could you can upload or paste in yeah a bunch of tabular data, uh, and then you can r- go through a series of wizard or go through a wizard, and uh, it'll pick out the right machine learning algorithms, and it'll build like a prediction or clustering um, algorithm uh, or model based on your data. And it'll also do a lot of smart. And um, my plan is also do some like really cool visualization stuff along the way. Okay, so let's say that you had a spreadsheet and you had like you know fifty thousand rows of data and like ten columns and and you know none of it's normalized or anything. And some of it's like uh, you know text and some of it's are numbers. And you're like, well, I wish I could take this data and build like a model of this so that I could, depending on the inputs, I could predict this last column, the output of this last column, right? Uh-huh. Uh, or whatever the last column, column value, we'll call that the output value. And so what you can do is you would just, you know, control C, can, you know, copy the whole, all the contents of those 20,000 cells and 10 rows and um, go to the first step in the wizard and into the text area and say paste. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the other way of getting data into it is, is, of course, just saving data as like a CSV file or something and then just um, uploading it to the server. But one thing I wanted to do is I wanted people to be able to paste data because that's a really fast and convenient way to, to do stuff as opposed to having to save file and import. Um, and it's, and uh, one thing I noticed is that if you paste a lot of data, more than, say, like 50 or 100K into – actually, maybe that's not even that much. But if you go like half a meg, like say you have a file that has like half a meg, so you have like half a million rows or something like that, yeah, it literally kills the browser. I mean, it, 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 the browser will become unresponsive for like a minute. I mean, it's just trying to, it's trying to consume this, uh, this text, this data and stick it into a text area and it's, it just dies. So either you have to put up a message that says, okay, you know, if you don't have that much data, you know, 10 or 20,000 rows, paste it in here, otherwise save it as a file and import it. But it's, it'd be hard for people to always kind of, people aren't always going to understand whether their data is a lot or not. I mean, some people will not always realize, oh, it's a 20K or is it 200K or is it two megs of data? I mean, how much data is it? So they might, a lot of cases, just paste, try and paste it in 
at which pace the the at which at which point the browser then just freezes and crashes in which case they're like oh this sucks right so that's yeah. not a good user experience so what I what I did I said okay why is it that the browser freezes and I said you know I'll bet what ha- what's ha- why it's taking so long to paste in this data is that you paste it in and the browser is trying to figure out how to lay out the text inside the text area right so hmm. what I did is I put an on paste event handler on the text area and in Chrome there is a in the in the event that gets passed through to the on paste event handler there is hmm. a uh, a clipboard. Um, object and the clipboard object has a function called get um, data and if you pass a parameter called text to it you can literally get the text that's been pasted in you know whether it's five or ten megs of text and then and then I can just kill the event I can cancel it so it doesn't paste anything in so on Chrome it is that you could have like a 10 meg file cop control C control V boom and the browser consumes it and it's stored in a local variable so there's a, there's a text that's 10 may there's a string um that it's pointing to, that has the 10 megs of text into it and the, and the browser's just fine no problem that's very nice and uh but that's just on chrome that's that just on work. chrome now firefox doesn't have an event doesn't pass an event through on paste okay so which sucks and i was like why is it and i thought man maybe i'm just the documentation or maybe firebug's acting weird because sometimes firebug will act weird to you and it won't show you information you have to like you know restart your firefox i've playing around i think no there's no and i was trying to look on the web see if anybody knew and it and it and and it wasn't doesn't pass an event so you can't get the clipboard the data out of the clipboard and then cancel it so what i like the worker the clever workaround for firefox was that um you do on the on paste you set a timeout uh, interval to call to call another function in like say one millisecond or ten milliseconds, and then that callback function when that runs, you can say you know text area dot value like save that into the local variable and then literally delete the text area. Oh, and by the way, the first thing you do too is 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 you um, I think you can make it invisible, and so even that first delay it just it immediately disappears and then you just delete it. And so basically, on Firefox, you've got the instant response as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just a little. There's like a one or two. So if you if you paste in like a five meg text file, tab tabular data, it might take one or two seconds to just kind of catch its breath. But it's still way better than what it was taking. You know, literally, if you put in like over a meg file, it would just literally die, and the browser was dead. You would have to literally, you know, kill it in your task manager. Yeah. So I thought that was really I I was kind of tenacious on it yesterday. I'm just like I know I should be working on this, but damn it, I got to figure this out. This guy. No, that's nice. That's that's good, and I think that uh, that that could help a few people. Yeah, so that's kind of neat. Um, if anyone uh, if anyone cares, I'll um, you know, I can I can post up a link to the a little sample of this. Of the, I mean, I can't imagine too many people are trying to paste in you know five, ten, twenty meg text files into a text area but it just happened to be something i needed to do but it was just one of those things is like you know it's kind of like a fun you get into this mode where you just got to solve this technical problem yeah right it's not like it was a huge issue like you'd always say ah you know what screw around just make them you know upload the file right i mean it's not that's not that big a deal especially if it's like a 10 or 20 meg file you know or even like a three meg file it's like yeah you know control seeing from you know excel is, is not really much a big deal than it's just saving a csv and importing it right so rationally speaking, you might think it's just kind of a waste of time, but it's just one of those things that you just get it in your head. Like, I am not going to get beaten by this. I got to solve this. This is just pissing me off. <laughs> well, of course, in general, um, the copy and paste issue is a pretty huge issue if you're, if you're talking about copying and pasting in from all the different sources, like on, on a number of projects I've worked on. Um, it's proved a massive stumbling block, a block being able to correctly 
you know, say for example, you do you copy from Word and then you're trying to paste and retain the formatting and put the links in and get all that stuff working properly. That's pretty complicated to get it all right. Yeah, um, we, we, had the same, we had the same thing with, uh, with Prezo when you're, you know, because we had our own custom text editor that didn't use design mode. And what we would do is we would set the focus to like a hidden text area and you'd control C and then like, like a few milliseconds after there'd be a timeout and then it would grab the data from the text area and then do whatever it needed to manipulate it and then paste it into the, 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 uh, the display. Yeah, and it's a real pain. It's it's one, and I noticed that. In, you know, one thing I was gonna say about that is that you know that whole workaround I had. I guess Windows, you can actually they have like an on before paste, I think, and they also have like a clipboard object you can get from the window. So on the on paste callback function, you just go window dot clipboard or something get data, and so you can you know you can get it to IE that'll work. I just gotta I'll do that today, so it'll it'll be sort of completely cross platform. But one thing I was oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, is there any news on you getting your Mac? Oh, well, let me just finish one thing about this one, say, and I'll, I'll sure. tell you about this. So the other thing is, it's really amazing how much faster Chrome is for this stuff than Firefox and how much faster Firefox is than um, IE. I mean, it's mm-hmm. almost like eight times faster for Firefox. Uh, Chrome is like eight times faster than Firefox, and Firefox is like, you know, ten times faster than IE7 or whatever I have, or IE8. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's like, so I'm almost, if people are doing this, I'm almost going to po- have a pop-up if they don't have Chrome um, and be like, well, <laughs> we recommend you use Chrome unless you got, you know, a lot of free time, right? I mean, How does Safari compare? Uh, Safari, well, you know what? Safari worked the same way as Chrome in terms of like the pasting of data, just as that, for instance, because I think, because web, because it's, I guess it's the WebKit browser model. Right, right, yeah. So that'll work the same, but it's not as fast as Chrome, but it's faster than Firefox. It's kind of in the middle, if I recall. I'll probably um, write a blog post about this and, and, and just, you know, describe kind of the process. But it was kind of interesting. I mean, none of this obviously is some, like, comprehensive benchmarking system, but I'm just telling you from, you know, number crunching and dealing with huge data sets, you know, Chrome handles it like a, like a champ. And... Um, you know, it gets significantly worse with the other browsers. Um, but you're asking about the... Um, yeah, just, Mac? I mean, just, are, are you going to get a Mac? Or? Well, so here's the thing. Um, you know, I'm kind of limping along with my current PC, which, is right. like, I, which I bought, in, uh, I think it was like the end of 2004. So it's old, and it's an old AMD. Uh, I think a 3800 plus is what the processor was called. And it's pretty dog slow, but... You know, it. I don't really need it for much. The only thing it has problems with is like it's not the greatest for like playing video, like YouTube videos and stuff. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's a little not, not like you need that anyway. That's, yeah, I doesn't mean, help you be very productive. No, I mean, you know, cause really, what do I do most of the time? It's you know, I need Skype and I need to uh, FTP and a text editor and a browser and you know, it's not you know, and and uh, it's not like I need a whole lot of horsepower. I'm not I'm not rendering 3D landscapes or something, right? Or right. playing video games, but. Anyway, so it, but it is dying, and I'm not sure because it, it, it's it's kind of unstable, and I'm not sure how much longer it's going to be around. Whether I'm going to be able to depend on it for like another month or two, or I can run it for another year. So I need to do this. But Sandy keeps reminding me. She's like, "You need to back up all your files on this thumb drive." She keeps every morning she comes in, and she'll she'll take the thumb drive out of my USB connector and put it back in. She's like, "Are you going to save it today or what?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it." Because <laughs> we it crashed, uh, as I mentioned before, it crashed like a week or two ago, and I thought it was dead. And I was like, oh, crap, <laughs> right? Because I hadn't backed up the data. Not that I couldn't get it off the hard drive probably, but you know, it's just, it's just kind of a reminder that you need to be careful. And I just got in contact with a, um, a, a guy who had 
he had approached me a while, about a month ago about building an iPhone app for him. And we, we've been exchanging emails and he's, he's enthusiastic about getting that going. So if I, if I get this contract to build this iPhone app, then I will, um, then I'll need a Mac because my other Mac, the only Mac I have is like an old uh, MacBook that is like four or five years old and has an old operating system and barely runs. And it does, it just doesn't even have enough operating system to run the latest versions of, of Xcode, which you need for AppCelerator. So, um, I would probably, if I get an, if I get, if I get a, a contract to build an iPhone app, then I need a Mac, in which case I will, I will just go and do it. And I talked to Sebastian and he was recommending the iMac which I was looking at, and he, he put in the latest i7 Intel processor, which is like a quad-core with some hyper-threading or something. And he says, and the other thing he did, uh, he upgraded the, you know, with the, he got the bigger chip, it was a 27-inch monitor, and he also switched out the, um, the ATA or SATA drive and put in a solid-state drive. So that's Sebastian who's working on Swarm, is it? That's right. There's only Sebastian oh. I've ever met in my life. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he says it's unbelievable how fast. Oh, it's, it's that hard drive that speeds things up, basically. Yeah, the, the solid-state hard drive, apparently, it just makes it unbelievable. I've got the i7, and I, I do find it very, very fast. But I've, I think that not having that... Um, what, what do you call it? Like a flash drive? Solid-state. There's a solid-state drive. SSD. Yeah, solid-state. Yeah, without that, it... it I'm not running as optimal as I can, but they're pretty expensive, though. Yeah, well, I, I, I was thinking that I, I would just kind of take a look and see. I think it was like a couple hundred dollars or something, a few hundred dollars, but it was just for a smaller drive. But if you're not storing, like, movie files or something, and you're not Yeah, you but know, it all watching, adds up. When you, I don't when you know. click those little things, right, you end up paying basically 3500 for your Mac. You know, yeah, oh, like, yeah, oh, I think you're running files. Yeah, it, you know, it didn't yeah. seem like it was that much. I mean, I think it was a little over two grand, maybe 2200 right. for the top-of-the-line iMac. With oh, a, oh, yeah, of course, you're going for the iMac. Yeah, so it's Not way the, cheaper uh, than getting a MacBook Pro. Yeah, okay, fair so, enough. So, which is what I would get, because like I said, I don't, I don't really need a... I don't need to be portable. The only time I'm ever programming when I'm not at my desk is when we go and visit the in-laws for a few days in Vegas, and that only happens about three or four times a year, so not a big concern. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> uh, something else um, that I wanted to bring up was uh, an interesting blog post about word frequencies in front-page uh, Hacker News titles. Right. Did you see that? Well, that was the uh, the idea I brought up, right? About analyzing your sort of the last the last the last uh, the Peter uh, Cooper interview, and I said I want to have I want to have a like a Bayesian classifier that would analyze the probability that your title would go to the front page. They literally have. They've 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 analyzed six months worth of data, and then listed the frequency of times that the, these individual words have been posted in the titles. Mm. And it's kind of interesting because you look at the words and on, on first pass you'd go, oh, well, that's, that doesn't help me whatsoever. But then actually on second pass, when you think about the words, it, it's kind of interesting. So the, it, within the last six months, um, the top word that's been mentioned 40,000 plus times is four, F-O-R. Okay. And the second top word that's been mentioned 25,000 times is how. Right. Right. And the third word is with. That's kind of interesting. So what it shows you is, is that it's those posts like how I did this, you know. Or how do you do this with this or how to do that for this. Exactly. This. Oh, That's what it is. So that, that sort of construct. So basically the top, f the top five words, ignoring the, the kind of wildcard, which is Google. That's the only kind of specific word. But the top five words are for, how, with, why, your, and you. Okay, well, no, we get away from words and we look at like sort of um, 
uh, like sort of technology words like tags, like Python, Ruby, NoSQL. None of those. N- none of those are even even close. The only thing that's in there in that in the list of the top twenty is Google, startup, web, and iPhone. I suppose Apple, iPhone, Google are in there, but they're, they're all kind of low. You know? How do you Google? How do Google? Google how to search Google busiest. with your i? How to Google, How to search Google on the web with your <laughs> Apple iPhone? It's very strange. Google is basically the fourth most popular term. Yeah, which well, is, Google which is, is like everything, right? It's like air now. It's like it's just like it's the ether. <laughs> it is the but, internet. <laughs> but you and your is twice as popular as my and I. Huh. So that's maybe a cognitive thing, right? Yeah. Interesting. You're, you're, you're flipping around the context to the reader. As yeah. So talking about your, that's interesting. I don't know. You know, I, I wonder why, because we when we were having a discussion with Peter about, you know, doing these analyses, and I just wonder if you end up doing like a cargo cult, you have a cargo cult problem, which is right. that you're superficially um, uh, representing things, but they're not really what's interesting. Right. I mean, you and for and with are just probably they might just be the way that you have to phrase these sorts of things in short and like five or seven words. Right. There's nothing special about them. It just happens to be that those are just it's like if and is and it the it just happens like when you are posting a very small sort of title. It's just those are the kind of words that work. Well, that's that that was my first thought was was what you're just describing there. Um, But then, you know, just like, oh, they're only popular because they're, that's the words that you use to make up sentences with. Mm-hmm. And they, they go in between all the other words. But actually... Yeah, it's like I the think connective on, tissue. <laughs> but I think on further inspection, I don't think that's the case. Huh. Because uh, I think that, you know, you and why and how are pretty important words. And all, all of the big posts, not all of them, but a lot of the big posts are, you know, how I built my startup in 10 days or that kind of thing. So that's why how is up there. Yeah, how works really, that, that stuff. I think they, when Peter Cooper uh, talked about like how, why, he sold, you know, why he sold a startup and he was an idiot or something like that. And, right, yeah. I mean, that's a great title. I mean, it's funny. I, I think you have to spend time. I mean, it's obviously really important if you can get something in front page of Hacker News. You can get a lot of attention. And as we've seen, there's been a number of people who've kind of popped up out of nowhere over the past six months or year um, with semi-regular posts. Um, and it's mostly via Hacker News, right? I mean, You've they, always really, fo- whenever you or I have been submitting stuff to Hacker News, You've always really focused on the title. You've taken, I don't know, like 15 minutes to think about the title, and I've just kind of shoved it up. Mm-hmm. And you've had much more success getting to the front page, I think, because you've taken that time to think about the title and tailor it, because that's all you've really got to get people's attention to click on the link. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the, you know, it's kind of like doing a mental A-B test. <laughs> like, kind of do a thought experiment. Okay, so how, if I was reading this, how would I react to it, or how do I think people are going to react to it? And if it sounds too um, much like link bait, like, if, if, first of all, it sounds boring, nobody's going to do it, right? If it doesn't really describe what you're talking about, and if it doesn't sell it, if it doesn't sell the idea, people aren't going to, because they get like, they got 30 or 50 other things to click on, right? I mean, how are we going to catch their eye? I mean, the whole yeah. point is you want people to read your stuff. I mean, unless you just enjoy writing for the sake of writing, they might as well just create a personal journal, journal and stick it in your drawer. But if you're writing on the web, ultimately, no matter what you're, you want, it's what you're, you're telling yourself or anyone else is you want people to read it and you want as many people to read it as possible whatever your ultimate reason for that is. And if you're putting on Hacker News, that's definitely the case. So if you want people on Hacker News to read it, you've got to catch their eye. But if it's too much of a link bait, 
if it has as the link bake feel, people kind of react to that negatively. So it's this very fine line to creating something that sells it in an interesting way, catches their eye, but doesn't feel uh, the people don't feel like oh they're just trying to get me to link on the click on this thing, which is gonna, which irritates them. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think you kind of have to get kind of a thought experiment. And of course, it's just a guess. I mean, sometimes, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of times I, I haven't submitted that much. So it's not like I'm in, it's not like I've submitted hundreds of things. But when I have ever I have, I, I try and take a few minutes and go, OK, how can I say this in a way that I think people will appeal people? But there's plenty of times where I thought there were great titles and really interesting. And they got not a single point or just got the one point, nothing. And then one front page. And I was like, how is that possible? I mean, this is exactly the kind of thing people will find interesting. In which case, I get, like I said, like I've mentioned before, I think there's a lot of just sort of the the Italian restaurant problem is just a matter of like luck. It just happens to be the kind of people who are interested in that particular topic on Hacker News who see the new page and happen to see it. Yeah. Or, you know, it, there's definitely the case that people who are popular submitters who have a lot of points and people know, oh, that's my buddy so and so, or he usually submits good stuff. I'll just kind of. Give him a hand. Yeah, that same thing happens on Dig. And it always happens. I mean, that's just how human beings behave. Is yeah. as smart and as sophisticated and as sort of egalitarian as hacker news people probably like to think of themselves. They're and ultimately they follow the same cognitive biases as, as most human groups, right? So, so um, we're we're one uh, twenty. Just to let you know, um, one twenty five actually. So. Okay, just a couple one, one quick, couple real quick things. One, um, did you see the uh, that id um, released this uh, this new this game called Rage on the iPhone? No, did I didn't. John know. Carmack. John Carmack is a guy who's behind the id, you know, Quake and Doom, and he wrote all those the, those engines. He's like this super genius, three D graphics. Yeah developer i mean he's just off the charts he's like the michael jordan of like <laughs> video game <laughs> engines is just unbelievable and so i guess he went and he created this thing and it looks like i'm not sure what rage is i'm not a video gamer so i'm sure some people on the sh- on the listeners would be very familiar with what rage is but it looked to me in the demo looked kind of like what quake but it looked even way better like okay. the, the texture mapping and the way they did lights I mean, it was unbelievably realistic and it was on the iphone iphone 4 and it worked on the iphone 3gs that is very cool. It was unbelievable. And he was saying it was as it was as powerful on the iPhone, the engine would run as well and it would outperform like the Xbox, the the PS2 and the uh, and earlier versions of the Xbox. Wow. And it's just amazing. I mean, even under those constraints, you know, he was able to pull it off. So that was kind of cool. Um Well, it's like that reminds me of Sebastian who's working on Swarm doing the AI for Swarm and he just keeps on optimizing it and making it better and better. I don't understand like how how can you keep on squeezing these <laughs> these algorithms well you know i mean have you, i mean it's so much fun it's actually is really fun when you get a problem and you want to optimize either for 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 size or, or or speed i mean it's a fun problem to do it's like okay now i have to get this algorithm down and just keep hammering on it like i was um this is a, a project i was working on this for uh this trading software stuff and we were you would get this um, all this market data in for all these stocks, and like a day of of market data, and this is like every trade and in market quote for like say Apple, would be you know hun- uh, you know like a hundred megs, you know or something right or or maybe two hundred fifty megs or something, and I was trying to write a simulator that would go through this data super fast, and so if you can get the file down really small because one of your biggest bottlenecks is just reading the, the data off the disk. Yeah, and so I created um, this uh, bit, you know, bit mask, you know, um, as the first parameter that would say, okay, of all the fields, what has changed? 
and or and if there's a delta, then how big is the change? So can we represent it as you know a byte or a short unsigned short or whatever? And I did that with all the fields. Or is is there or does that even field even exist? Do we even need it? Right? Is it has it not changed? And we don't show it. So in which case you'd only get like a sh- uh, unsigned short as your bit mask, and then maybe a byte or two for in- to represent the changes that have happened to these other fields. Right. And I got it down to like a meg. <laughs> like for That's Apple, wicked. and I could simulate an entire day. I could blow through every quote and and uh, trade message for like a big thing on Apple. Uh, Apple on its regular little desktop server in like a less than a second. It was just unbelievable. But it was so much fun to just sit there and go, okay, now how can I, how can I write sort of an, like a customized compression algorithm to blow through this? And it's just it's a fun problem. I love doing that. So you said you had an, another topic, another yeah. little question yeah, just couple, before we sign up. Yeah, a couple quick. Uh, one, Let's see, one or two quick things. So one was, um, you know, I was looking, you know, I was talking about the uh, quantifier, uh, you know, uh, AI. Yeah. And one of the things I was looking at was, okay, so if you're an import, if you're an upload a big app, a big file, 50 megs, you know, 100 megs file, then, or even smaller, even 10 or 20 megs, sometimes you like to see the progress. You don't like to just go into the sort of forever, like, okay, uploading, uploading, uploading. You're like, well. Yeah, yeah. Is it dead? Does it's it a little going? thermometer. Yeah. And so... Yeah, progress bar. And there's a couple really good ones that I found that you have to pay for. The one is PHP file uploader. Another one was like called like X upload. PHP file uploader was like $100 per domain or something. And I think X uploader was like 20 bucks. But, you know, and it doesn't require any special server side stuff. It would work with, uh, you know, IIS or Apache or, or, you know, you could use PHP or AS. But it, I bet it uses Flash, right? No Flash. Oh, great. Okay. And I was just curious, you know, but I remember looking at some early PHP scripts because I remember trying thinking about wanting to do this like four years ago. And, you know, and I would and there had been a few sample scripts where people tried to do it. But it was like you could you could only deal with like one file was being uploaded at a time to the server. Like was looking at some temporary size of some temporary file and it was because of limitation of Apache or something. Well, there's just like this one file. But if you have more than one file, it doesn't work. And so I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. But then, of course, you look at like you upload an attachment to like uh, Gmail or something and you'll see, you know, it works great for them. Right. They have this little progress bar when you attach. Yeah. And they, they, they can upload multiple attachments at once. Well, these things, both of these files, X upload and PHP follow can do that, too. Okay, cool. And I just thought that was really cool. I was just curious. Have you have any idea how that works? Do you know any insight no, to that? I, 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 I don't actually. I mean, I didn't see any time looking. I was just looking through their demos and I experimented. I'm like, wow, that is really cool. <laughs> I love that. I love the sort of asynchronous, you know, upload with feed, you know, with the progress bars. And then, of course, you can do multiple files and it has all kind of like, you know, what's the average speed and what's the l- most recent speed, you know, as it's progressing. And I don't know. I thought that was really kind of slick. Cool. Um, but what's your question, real quick, before you turn up? How what's the hey, what's the updates with uh, Swarm? Anything new? Uh, Swarm, well, uh, yeah. Um, basically, Sebastian is doing a, a killer job on the AI. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's getting to the point where it's beating me on some games, and interestingly, it's actually it's teaching me how to play the game, which is something that's a kind of side side effect that's I hadn't awesome. expected. That's really cool. Well, that's going to be great for new users. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And what's strange is it, it, it's. What it's really good at is moving the opponent's pieces. That uh, because of the cognitive bias of every other board game you've ever played, you don't move your opponent's pieces. Right. And it's difficult to get your head into that concept. Right. But of course, Cerebro doesn't doesn't care. Which, you know? by the way, is the most awesome name. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I wish that was the name of my uh, machine learning library. Right. I'm going to see if I can. <laughs> 
don't give it to me. Like that is such a cool name, Cerebro. Yeah. Like, come on, Justin, or, 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 or come cool. up with a name for mine because that's just badass. I love it. So, so it's because Cerebro doesn't care, it just waits. It just basically looks for the best optimal move, and it it regularly uses your pieces. And there's there's positions that I mean, like obviously I've played a few games with a few different people, and I'm. I think I'm pretty good at scanning the board and going, right, I'm not in any danger here. There's no way that that guy could take me, even if he threw a, a seven or something. Right. I, it hands over to Cerebro, and he takes me in a way that I couldn't have even imagined. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. So in, That's in, awesome. In, you know, on some levels, it's it's proving to be really, really good. But on other levels, because the the way that he's got the algorithm, it it doesn't plan in advance in the same way that a human could. Mm-hmm. Um it's quite easy to beat in certain ways. So there's certain kind of tactics that you can use to, to always beat it. And it just wouldn't really know how to deal with it. Right. But certainly for, for beginner players, it will offer an excellent game. And especially since we've also created smaller boards. So on the smaller board version, uh, we actually, when the game opens up now, there's a version of Swarm where it only has one piece type. Right. And um, it's a small board. And basically, if you, if you pass the Cerebro first time, it's actually very difficult to beat it. it but if, if you start, it's, it's easier to win. But if you pass the Cerebro, it's very, very difficult to beat it. Well, so, he's only working on this, what, like a month? Yeah, and, but he's got, he's got plans to... I mean, his... his, his <laughs> like, he, he really has um, got a lot of good ideas for it and uh, wants to move it onto Node.js and do, you know, go down the whole David Fogel route of uh, training. So, I mean, it's, it's really exciting. Another good thing about Swarm um, that's as an aside to what's happening with Sebastian is that uh, Titanium Accelerator themselves have contacted me and said that basically they'd like to, to do a case study on Swarm and put it on the front page of their website and show how uh, Swarm is a case study and someone building an app in CSS, JavaScript, and HTML cool. on the iPad. That's awesome. So, yeah, I know. It's very, very cool. So um, I'm excited about that. And that they wanted to know, you know, what... What did titanium bring to the equation that other uh, that that wouldn't have been easy to do otherwise? And there was two really big things. One of them is that um, saving state of the game. So t- the titanium API allows you to pass objects to it from JavaScript, and all I do is I pass the op- the, the whole state of the game via JavaScript to the titanium Objective C API, and then their API has uh, all the tools to kind of save that state, save that object, right. which is much faster than writing to a database. It's just really, really fast. So that's the one thing. And I, I couldn't even, you know, without that, I'd have to do things like use cookies, which would just be kind of horrible. Right. right? Because if you use cookies, there's, uh, there's just, I just wouldn't like the idea of it. But then the second thing is, is that Cerebro, although written in JavaScript, we actually put Cerebro within app.js when it's on the iPad. So when it's in the browser, it's just running normal JavaScript. But when it's running on the iPad, we run Cerebro from the back end. So basically it gets compiled as Objective-C and native. Right. And it means that it runs, you know, like 100 times faster. Yeah, yeah. Right. So we then pass the board state from JavaScript back to the Objective-C. It does its calculations and then sends it back to the JavaScript to make the move. Right. So that's pretty much the the status of where we're at with that and that's that's all very exciting um the the swarms off the front page of of games and has been for a while so sales are trickling in at like maybe two a day four a day 
um, from strange places like Kazakhstan. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, you, um, when are you releasing a new version? Well, I've, we were supposed to release it on August the 1st, but we just couldn't get ready by then. I've now got posted up on the App Store that we're going to release on August 15th, but we're not ready. So I think it's going to probably be... Oh, you're a taking, a, taking a, a page out of my book. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, so hopefully, I've, hopefully within the next two weeks anyway. I mean, it's just because I've got, you know, I've got my full-time job and we've got the podcast and there's all these other things going on. It's yeah, excuses, to... excuses. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I mean, it's tough. It's hard to work on stuff just a couple hours and, they go and, and get stuff out in time. You just, it's ready. Well, it's also ready wanting it's to ready. polish it. Yeah, well, it's ready when it's ready, you know? Yeah. Kind of doubt. I mean, just, right. I mean, that's exciting, though. I think it's really cool. Um, I can't wait to see the next version. I can't wait to see. I, I want to see it play you. I want it's to- good. It, it's it's. I mean, it's it's pretty good for 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 where it's at. For version one, it's very very good. That's awesome. Um, well, one thing before we go, I want to remind people. So um, don't forget to sign up to the uh, TechZing uh, newsletter. Um, and uh, so go to TechZingLive.com and then just get in, put in your email, and we'll. Just send it like it's so simple. Textinglive.com. Yeah. Just enter your email, click submit. <laughs> and uh, and also uh, anyone who's interested in App Ignite, um, go to appignite.com and uh, and leave your email address there. And as soon as um, I'm ready for the private beta or private alpha or whatever the hell I'm going to call it, I will uh, I'll give you an account and send you an email and whatever. So um, and that's appignite.com, not epicnite. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's about it. And also, anybody can give us any help, any help by uh, writing, posting any tweets or blog posts about uh, the show. We'd uh, greatly appreciate it. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. We're out. 